So I'd like to thank uh, first the organizer of this event for inviting me. And uh, I am going to start by just telling you that, in fact, here what we are going to talk about is we are going to talk about food, but we are not going only going to talk about food. In fact, um, the, this talk that I'm giving to you started from the realization that something very, very strange happened something like 200 and 250 years ago in Europe. This is the moment, in fact, where people in Europe starting to think about human beings, but not only human beings as sort of like creatures of gods or member of the natural environment, but they started to think about what is it that society, how does social relation emerge? And that's the moment, so many scholars have investigated actually the emergence of what we call humanities and particularly social science at that time. And indeed the way in which those people who started to think about what is social relations, what is society, starting to create university department, write book about that. So imagine a little bit seeing like this idea of society slightly emerge out of this historical development. But we are very lucky here because, in fact, us, we wrote about society. And nowadays, we have like all sorts of theory and, and analysis of what social relation, what society, what community is. And so after doing my field work and investigating what I'm going to talk about, as, among with discussion with other colleagues, I started to think, OK, that works fine because we have writing. And so we have started to develop those disciplines, sociology, anthropology, all the humanities. What happens when are we the only one, actually, who have started to think about society as something to reflect upon, to evaluate, to judge? How do people in non-literate society think about this themselves, about the way in which this society works? Wouldn't that be a little bit arrogant that we are, to think that we are the only one who can do that? So basically, what I'm presenting today is a sort of like a trajectory, a sort of hypothesis. There's a mixture of results, but this is also something that I hope that I'm going to be able to um, develop in the next few years. So let me take you to Papua New Guinea, which is located in Oceania. And the, this is the, um, the, it's part of the New Guinea island, which is north of Australia, just right here. And I'm going to take you more uh, precisely in an area which is called the Sepik. Uh, the Sepik province, in a region which is called the Maprek, where you have this very interesting environment of a series of foothill, of um, the foothill of a chain of mountains which are covered with forest. We are not talking here about jungle. Huh? We are talking about a forest in which people have lived there for thousands and thousands of years. So they know very well this forest. They have sort of like merged within it. And all their techniques and way of life are sort of like part of that relationship with the forest. So one thing that they know very well is how do plants behave? They also look at birds and other type of animals. But so what is interesting is most of the way in which those people live there, they live in sort of like ridges on the ridges of those very sort of like sharp hills, which are not very high, perhaps only 600 meters. I don't, uh, I'm sorry, I don't do inches and yards and feet. I'm very bad with that, right? Um, 
And one of the elements that has attracted the attention of anthropologists and of uh, uh, travelers in the area is in fact, oh yeah, I wanted to show you basically where I actually did my fieldwork, which is a bit of a shock because when I was there between 2001 and 2003, I actually did a map of all of that. And in, uh, uh, in 2008, I realized that you could actually zoom to the actual village where I was. And this is where I was living. So just interesting. So the, one of the practices or custom that people do there is actually every year they have what is called the yam ceremony, a wapisaki, which means the lying up of yams. And what they are doing, in fact, they are displaying those massive tubers of yams, which can re reach up to three meters and weigh more than uh, 50 kilos. And they decorate them, and there is like people from the different villages that come and evaluate them and discuss about it. So, as you can see here, a couple of pictures, there's this idea that when the, 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 the practice actually is people are going there and looking at the yams, looking at their shape, looking at how well they are formed, looking at their length, but also they talk about whose tuber is it, where did it come from, who has planted it, which garden, and etc. So there is also not only a formal analysis, but also if you want the, story, the analysis and the discussion of the history of the tuber. Well, this is something that we know. We do that right here. There is, I couldn't find any images from uh, France uh, for that lecture, but we have La Fête de la Citrouille, where people present those massive pumpkins. And here, those are pictures that I've taken from actually uh, 2012 uh, Harrogate Flower Show with this fellow who has won the prize presenting an onions. And I think it must be, um, uh, what do you call that, uh, uh, cornichon. Um, uh, pickles or something like that, yeah. But it's not this idea of people coming and seeing products and evaluating them. It's also reminded me of the Salon de l'Agriculture in France, where you have very important men, such as here, the Minister de l'Agriculture of the previous government, coming and looking and evaluating, right? So basically, you can make a sort of very interesting comparison between the images there, where you have big men, important men, elders of other villages who come and watch those yams and discuss about it and the way in which. But is that really the same? That's one of the questions. Well, in fact, one of the things that has uh, that people have talked about in anthropologists is the fact that there is this idea that those yams are very long. And when you look a little bit at the way in which they have been cultivated, they are cultivated by men only in special garden from which women are totally excluded. It's surrounded with secrecy. You cannot have sex during the period where the yams are there. They have an elongated shape. So, what is it? Well, that's basically a phallic cult and a phallic symbol. Apologize for the, the red that you cannot see here. That was one of the first interpretations. Was it really so? Or was it us sort of imposing our perception of what it is? So that's one of the things that drove me to go back into the field and examine that. And I did a bit of research before. And when I realized through the literature and through the field work is the fact that I realized that uh, those yams were acting different way. One of the ways in which they would acting, they were acting as images that people would look at. They were sort of considered as beautiful. There were rules of decoration. It's very elaborated, very vibrant, right? And it's connected to other type of images that were part of secret initiation, which are not done before. And I will go back to that fellow at the end of my talk. But they are not only images, they are also food. And the food is prepared mostly by women. 
And they are here what you are seeing is the way in which a group of women were actually peeling, preparing yam. You can eat them roasted, boiled in several different ways. And it's considered as the major food, even though from a, a purely nutritional point of view, yams don't occupy actually a very, very big part. And finally, they also act as valuables. That is sort of item of exchanges that people uh, uh, transact between, between them, between different groups. Mostly what they call compensation. For example, if you are going to marry someone, right? if I'm supposed to uh, marry Keiko here, for example, right? I'm supposed to give to Keiko's family compensation for taking her away from her home. That's matrimonial compensation. Right? But also comp compensation for funeral. Right? If somebody on the side of my family dies, right, I need to give back something to compensate the loss to that person, to the family, to the mother side of that person who died. So for example, if my, uh, um, if my nephew dies, I'm going to have to give compensation to his mother if this nephew is my brother's son. So this idea of compensation, but also compensation for dispute. If I got an argument here with Paul, which is just right here, right, in order to sort of like solve the problem, I might actually give him yams, give him some shells, and yam will be part of that. So basically there is this idea that yam act in a very different way, and they are all going to use those great long yams. So the notion of images, in fact, are very interesting. The Ebelam, a very famous in the literature and in museums, you can find those collections everywhere for having created those very elaborated figures that were used during initiation. In particular, the figure which is on the top here, which is called the Putti, which is the ancestor from which the world emerged, who is empty because he has given, who has emptied himself out because he has given everything. Keep that in mind for later. This image of an ancestor that gives out and empties himself. So what type of yams people are cultivating? They are cultivating those long yams, they are botanical name, but they are also cultivating short yams. What is interesting is, in fact, in order to understand those long yam system or ways of or, or what the role they play, you need to understand the entire process of cultivation. So I look at the way in which short yams were cultivated. This is no secret. Short yams are planted in open garden. The entire community of the same hamlet will come and help me plant. Right? Men, women, it's going to be a social event, it's going to be a sort of like festive nature, a lot of joke, uh, people will bring food, it's going to be very fun. Right? Whereas like cultivating the long, the long yams is something which is in garden which are a little bit sort of like outside of the main track and I'm going to only invite my close friends and some members of my family and some of my allies. Allies, sorry. So basically what I did is I followed the making of the long yams, because I wanted to understand how they could become such an important and central artifact, if you will. And so I realized that one of the ways in which I could analyze that is I look at the way in which what people were doing in the garden, what knowledge they, uh, they use, what type of tools, material, and supernatural, for instance, magic, but also what type of um, uh, uh, raw material they were using. And basically what I did is I followed the cultivation cultivation process during one year, a little bit more than that. And what I found was absolutely fascinating. By following the yam during the entire year, I started to touch upon many dimensions of the life of the village. I'm not saying all the dimension, but it was a sort of like, a little bit like an archaeologist that makes a test pit, right? Just like, like a, just a brief sort of like touch upon 
relation between men and women, relation with modernity, development, the vanilla that arrived, relation with the war in Iraq, with 9-11, with what's going on in the, in, the, um, uh, in the Papua New Guinea government. So it was a sort of like a very interesting way. It wasn't complete, but it was a sort of like link between all of that. So just briefly, this is, I'm going to show you briefly how you plant a yam. You create this mound, mound here of finally um, uh, broken earth, on the top of which you are going to plant the set that is a piece of yam which has already germinated that you can see on the top on the image there. And then you're going to put that here, and as the year go, you will see the vines that are going to grow slowly, and people are going to build that trellis, very elaborated, that can go up to 11 meters. And at the end of that, they are going to put those bamboos around which each vine of the plant will be attached. It's a work of every day, but it's also a private work. People go to their garden to step aside a little bit of the, of the frantic life of the village. You go with your friend, you go into your garden, you don't speak loud, you don't make a lot of noise. You go there because it's your own private place. I I'm to believe that uh, for English people, home is their castle. I think that perhaps for the Abelham garden is their sort of like castle in a sense. So this is a couple of images of those elaborated structure, in particular the, the last part, which is this bamboo structure, which is dressed right here. And around each bamboo is going to act as a tutor for one of the vines. Keep that in mind again. But also there are moments in which you need to dig underneath this sort of, uh, as you can say, this sort of like small wall to reach up the tuber which is about to grow in order to either drain it from the water, in case the water is too, there is too much water and the tuber is going to rot, or also to perform certain forms of magic. And then, after nine months, and you see here a couple of relations, people will dug up the, the yam, will clean it from its sort of like small rootlets, and then they will hide it in one of the yam storage house up until the moment of the of the yam ceremony, where they are going to decorate them and display them. When I said that I studied like the way of uh, the way in which like yams were made, I looked obviously as sort of agronomical, if you want fact. I look at you know I try to get information on the nature of the soil, at the type of practice people were doing, but also I realized that people in their way of cultivating yam were including within that what we think are non-technical elements because. All those non-technical elements were supposed to be intangible, were supposed to be material, were supposed to be only symbolical. In fact, when you read literature on agronomy, on yam cultivation in this type of country, you have a, a lot of information on the technical part, and everything which is sort of magic and etc. is just like, it's a side, it's social, right? But in fact, my job as an anthropologist was not so much to look at that, but was to try to understand what is it for the people themselves to grow yam. So if they tell me this element is very important, I have to include it in my description, right? And one of the elements which was interesting was the substance, a certain sort of invisible substance that we have in our body, which is called the jowai, which can be in our scent, in our blood, that can be uh, negotiated, but can also be transmitted on material through the sweat on your palm. It's a little bit like an anthropological notion which has become quite famous, which is the mana, this sort of like supernatural power 
of Polynesian uh, society before, if you will. Another was, well, the anti-sexual taboos. In fact, it wasn't only sexual, it was about a lot of things. While yams are sort of like in the ground, you cannot get angry. You cannot dis have a dispute with your wife. You cannot have a dispute with your neighbor. You need to be calm and detached. Perfect stiff upper lip, British gentleman, in a sense. Uh, and, in fact, this type of processes, as I could find out, was present in many other activities. Think about, I remember like a couple of years ago for one of the World Cup, I think that the French um, soccer team got in trouble because in fact I think that they hired some private company on the night before a game and that was like forbidden by the coach because in fact before a game those men need to retain their power so they should spend it in too much enjoying themselves. Right. And you have also, you know this type of thing. They are this sort of like relationship between sexuality and the thing that we are doing, which are sort of like pervasive in many, many uh, different societies here too. But it was not only about sex, it was about certain type of food. It was, as I said, about certain places and a certain form of behavior. So basically all of that was also part of what makes a yam become long and beautiful. Other things, of course, are sort of like those secret substances in fact, which are made of um, powder, of mineral, of certain, the sap of certain plants, which in fact are called secret substance, but when you talk a little bit about with people, you realize that everybody knows the secret, right? It's like a secret ingredient when you're cooking that everybody knows, right? To make roast potato, right? I've been told. One of the ways you can do that is to put a bit of a flour in a bag and you, you shake that. That's a secret ingredient. Yeah, well, I think that many of you know that, but that was presented to me as a secret ingredient. But not only those, but there is also this notion, notion that we call beauty. This is like a, uh, oops, sorry. There is, just above here, what you can see is the flower of an hibiscus that one of my friend gardener has put on the top of the yam. And he told me that also is gonna help it, help it to grow. So there is this idea that yams are living beings, that they are receptive to all of that, right? So beauty, secrecy, social relations, sexuality, relation with the entire community become part, in fact, of what makes a, a yam long and big. There is also the main plaza, the village, in which you have a stone in the center. This stone is absolutely fundamental, right? Every time there are visitors or a big ceremony or a thing like that, or every two other weeks, for example, you have the village that sort of like, that create an assembly to talk about problem within the community. Sometimes even private problems are discussed openly, right? Or politics, the election in Papua New Guinea, right? Or the new recommendation from the gov government. Everybody gather around that sort of like stone on that piazza seat, it's also the occasion of a, of a, of a party, they are food. Every speaker, like I'll, I'll do, will walk to and fro around a small heap of stone in the middle. And it is said that this stone, which is called the spider and the moon, that the same wo word, in fact, capture the heat, the passion, but also the intelligence of the debate. And the, this heat, in fact, then, through a complex system of secrecy that I can't really talk about here, it's sort of like retransmitted to all the gardens of the community. So you see here, growing long yam is not only like calculating the amount of water, the photosynthesis, 
the, uh, uh, the quality of the soil, the, um, the, the, the quantity of N, P or K that there is in the ground. It's about like something which is much more wider that pertains to what is it to live in this village. So that's the fueling the stone, the mouth power, the power of oration, the power of verb. People during those meetings, we also use songs, metaphor, to talk about, yes, to talk about the war that had just broke in Iraq and the invasion of Afghanistan, because I was there between 2001 and 2003, right? They are using all those type of metaphor. So what is very interesting is this heat is considered, can be interpreted, and that's the interpretation of the anthropologists, and you have to go back and ask people, does this heat come from what we call anthropologists in our jargon, social relation? People will say it's come from, yes, they are not perhaps going to use the term social relation, but it's going to talk about living together, right? So that's a very important point that allows us to think that making those long yams is also based on creating, recreating social relation. So now why do people make long yam ceremonies? I ask that question. You have to ask that question. And what the people say is, when you create a long yam ceremony, right? when you have that, when you celebrate the yam, that's going to help open the road to all the food. right? And this opening of the road of all the food will actually make all the garden sort of like produce, all the tree to produce. So there is a logic, a local logic about how all of that works together. It's not only the anthropologist imagination. This is also how people respond to our question. Sometimes you need also to be careful about how you ask your question, but that's another topic. So planting the short yam is a social event when the sweat, the joy, the substance I was talking about was part of that, where the beauty and the joy of young men sort of like joking together, flirting with women, where sort of like every, all the community is actually part of planting the garden and will mix their substance within this garden. This is also what they say. So the result at the end is sort of like those tubers that don't look like a work of art. It's not like an elaborated sculpture. That's also what attracted me, right? Everybody was talking about the sculpture of the Abelam. I was interested in this very interesting artifact, not even the decoration. I became interested in the decoration later, of course. You don't have to worry too much about deciphering that. It's just for you. Well, actually, you might not be able to. But it's just to show you the complexity of the entire process and what it gathers, what it implies, and how long it lasts. By the end of the day, this is what I, I started to feel. Basically, the yam is, is like in the middle of a web of many different things, right? The relationship between the gender, the politics, the relationship with the ancestor, what we call magic, ritual, but that people might talk about, might actually define as just doing things. So the yam is actually sort of in the middle of this very sort of like tight network, and this is what, how the yam actually start to emerge. I showed that diagram to the people following one of the advice of, uh, of the, one of the important figures of, anthropo of anthropology, Claude Lévi-Strauss, each time you make one diagram like that, go back to the people and show it to them and you know, ask them what they think. And basically what I came about, and that's after Lévi-Lévi-Fing, the field, so that's more like an hypothesis that I am now at this moment, is the fact that the, you, those yams were actually the materialization of these relationships, right? They were 
as if it was social relation, this sociality, those bounds that bound us together, that was suddenly captured and coalesced or precipitated into the form of images and food and also valuables. But why yams? I thought I answered that question. I'm just starting actually to try to get my head around it. Let's look at yams a little bit. Oh, let's look at images. Remember the putty? Yes, the figure, the one who is empty because he has given out everything? Well, that might be something which is interesting because as you can see here, there is a, a system. This is a representation that was made in 94 of the inside of a ceremonial house where the initiation chamber. The putty, in fact, is carrying a bag on his back, right? And it's actually called the wood, which is also the womb of the female from which we sort of like are born, right? But there is also some equation between that bag and the yam mound, but also between the yam mound and the entire structure of the ceremonial house. Those are hypotheses, so follow me through, right? And I started to think about this principle of Russian doll, right? Things that are inside things that are inside things. The ceremonial house contain images that contain images that contain images. It's a bit like Escher, right? This sort of like, whoa, images. And then I look a little bit at the way in which Yam behave, right? Going back to my field notes, reading a bit. During the first time of the year, in fact, you have those vines that grow and climb, right? And during the second part of the year, those vines dry, and that's the moment when the tuber grows and go deep. So there is a movement like that, phew, projection in many vines, and then whew, receding within the ground. Something that was very interesting is, so that's another type of representation here. That's how the tuber that you planted sort of like create vines. Those vines are called pate. I think the words should appear, but I'm worried. Yes. Those vines are called pate. And pate is actually the same name for lineage or clan or family, if you wish. And then I started to ask, like, so is there a connection between the way in which the vine grows and divides and the way in which you think about those clans? And they say, yes, in fact, like, we are sort of like a little bit like yams, right? There was an original clan that moved. And then the brothers started to fight against each other. So they moved from a different location. And this is how we broke up. That's very familiar to us, in fact. That's very interesting, right? That's a little bit like family tree in reverse, if you will, right? So this idea that family and clan are sort of like, like vegetal is something that the the, the people of the village where I did my field work are very, very interested in. But that's not something which is only, uh, um, uh, uh, if you want, only valid there. In the second period, which is interesting, is you have the tuber that starts to grow, right? And the, the original tuber disappears, desiccates. And it's only during the final that everything recedes and goes inside. So you see the sort of like breathing moment. So basically, what do we have? Then people start to have that idea and ask that question. So I said, like, in fact, yams are interesting because those are yams that contains yams, right? And they say, yes, indeed, you plant a yam, it's going to give a yam, who's going to give a yam, who's going to give a yam. And there is this idea, in fact, that yams are very sort of like powerful. They contain things, and they have the ability to actually reproduce themselves. For those of you who are sort of like botanists, you will know that yams are, in fact, clones of one another, right? So basically what you have is you have a yam that contains yam that contains yam, but that contains like many of them. 
as you can see. So basically, this sort of tuber that you are looking is no longer just something which is there, but something which, can, which has the pot potential of, of giving plenty of them. Because if you take a yam and you cut it in three and you plant them, it's going to give as many yams and etc. So yams containing yams containing yams. So this is where I'm going to stop here. So as I started, like, what would be an indigenous form of sociology or indigenous form of thinking about social relationship. We have disciplines, we have books, we have experts. I'm starting to wonder whether or not the people who are planting the long yams are not like sociologists or anthropologists perhaps even, right? If this, this is not the way in which they try to materialize society to sort of like give it to the people to comment, to discuss. So perhaps yams because, why yams? Well, because it's about human reproduction. Because the clan and lineage, right? divide themselves because basically what it is about it is also in relation with that original ancestor that was perhaps like an original yam that emptied itself like the the original seed that emptied and gave birth to all the others so what about this massive yam well it is perhaps their own version of the apocalypse right that might sort of like come to us according from a biblical point of view right the moment when we are all going to recede within the body of divinity. So this is pretty much where I am now. It's just like, are those yams a form of sociology which is displayed for people to discuss, come and disagree, think about, right? They are talking about yams. What is interesting is the fact that they do something a bit more than we do, or one could say that they do something more that we do as, with our sociology. They circulate it, they replant it, they reproduce it. So, in a way, are yams a form of sociology? That's pretty much where I'm going to leave you here. Ludovic, that was wonderful. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, and, and I like the empathy with which you showed us your own subject. Other questions, please? Right, lady there. Hang on a moment, We're, because this is being streamed around the world. Oh Look, looking at some of the photographs, it, it looks as though it hasn't changed much since Anthony Forge was there 50 years ago. And I wondered how much you thought it had, because Marprick is much more accessible now. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you don't say anything about the ceremonial aspect. Yeah. I, I wonder if they've... Yeah. Um, changed at all? Well, in fact, there are no more ceremonies. I mean, the reason why I came there, as far as I know, but you know, I, did, I mean, if you know a bit about those ceremonies, there is like in Melanesia, there is often cases where ceremony stops for 50 years and then suddenly they take up again. Since the time of, so Anthony Forge arrived them, as probably you know that at the end of the 50s, right, he was sent there actually by, um, by um, Alfred Buller from the Museum of Basel. And he yeah. went there to make a collection, right, so a collection of those artifacts. And at the time, yes, he was able to talk about There are some in the British Museum. There are some indeed in the British Museum, and yeah. And uh, in fact, they are almost 
everywhere in every single um, Euro-American um, museum. So the production of all those initiations has stopped. The last one that has been documented that I'm aware of is the one that has been documented by Noel McGuigan at the end of the 80s, for which, in fact, the Museum of Leiden went there and commissioned an entire ceremony and then acquired the artifact afterwards. But during my time, people said that there weren't any more initiation. Do they Be still decorate them, though, in the same way with the masks? The yams? That's the interesting thing. Yeah. While yams are still, that's one of the questions I ask myself. The initiation are not there anymore, but yams are still pretty much there, or they were when I was, and you know, I got some news, the fact that they are still doing it there. So these fundamental things that I'm talking are not the distant ethnographic romanticized past. It is pretty much the stuff of every day. And this is one of the, the interesting thing about that, I think. Thank you. Can Thanks I ask for your question. question. The, the nine months. Yeah that they dig it up after. Mm. Do you think there's a conscious relationship to human gestation, nine months in the womb? Huh. I ask the question. That was part of the interpretation of Anthony Forge, who did a lot of work, who actually launched me on that you know, uh, story of yams. Uh, in fact, as far as I'm aware, when you look at the way in which those Dioscoria alata, which is the particular species, actually, you can, it's usually seven, seven months. But in fact, the, it's difficult to keep track of things because well, there is a certain conception of where things are done, and sometimes you're not, you know, it's difficult as an ethnographer to follow that. But from those that I followed, in fact, nine months is probably sort of a, a rule of a thumb. And as such, when you ask a question, yes, they equate that with like, it's a little bit like. And, but they talk about moon, of course, which is, might be still different than calendar months. Question? Yeah. Who when the festival? So who decide that? That's fascinating. Decision making in this type of community, right? A lot of people working in development would like to know how you, <laughs> how you do that. Uh, in fact, that's very interesting. There is sort of like discussion. There are people going around. It's a sort of like pretty much very democratic. A couple of uh, big men, right? Men who are young planters will go and visit the others and discuss when do you think that. It's in relation with actually other ceremonies in other village. Because one thing that I haven't told you is the fact that the ceremonies travels. The first village in the, that's the east of the area are the first one to have their ceremony around May and the following village goes up until the east which is around September and there is a succession so people make sure that there is sort of like relation negotiation. I mean a ceremony within a village in fact implies the entire sort of area and what is interesting is the trajectory that I gave you is also the trajectory in oral history of migration and they consider all of that like yams planting themselves. Can I, can I ask you something? Yep. One of the most interesting things you said was the materialization of relationship yep. in this symbol, this reality of a mm -hmm. yam. And then at the beginning you showed us uh, a modern European situation with the French yeah. minister looking at a big sheep and yams. Mm -hmm. uh, not, not yams. Uh, yeah, it was sheep and onions and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think that there is something fundamental in humanity expressed by the French minister and by your Yams? <laughs> and if there is, is it a Jungian memory or is it a gene? You know, that's a really tricky question you're asking here, right? <laughs> and I'm not sure I'm going to, I'm first of all qualified to answer, and I'm not really sure that this is why I'm an anthropologist to answer those questions. I'm interested in sort of like 
more looking at the way, the, you know, their own way of thinking about the world. But I'll tell you something, and I will give you that for food for thought. Uh, I think it's in the, the station today. The big advert with a bottle of milk, another one which is on the side, right? And they say organic milk, right? Made with no GM, no nothing, etc. And the, our interest for organic food, for example, and interest for the way in which we eat, and the form of sociality that it embodies. If you eat healthy, there is an assumption that you are also a very healthy social being, that you are very good. I am a smoker, I drink wine, coffee, right? And this type of thing. So from a social point of view, I get sort of sometimes a bit like, you know, you smoke, it's not, not good, not really a good social being. So there is something about what we ingest and how we behave, what we, our relationship with the substance that we ingest and the way in which people evaluate forms of sociality. Two questions. Can they be very short, please, with short answers, Ludovic? We have okay. to go in three minutes. Okay. Well, you already mentioned it shortly, and I wondered if you could elaborate a little bit more about the importance of yum in the language. Oh, in the like, language, the different yes, type of language. Yes, because I know, for example, in Cambodia, if you have the word for rice, by, they mm. use it as well for things like uh, food. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like exactly. the same word. And Ka is a uh, kandemu. You can find that in kandemu, which is food. So yeah, ka, which is the name of the small yams, are yeah. In terms of like, that's also one of the very interesting things. And after that, no etymological studies have been done. But you know, you can feel from collecting words, etc. It's a fundamental part. Yes, definitely. There was this lady also on the top over there. Um, you haven't mentioned animals at all. Um, are yams somehow sacred that animals can't eat them? Do they, is there some sort of spiritual interaction? Do animals come into this scenario at all? They, they do birds, and before that pigs, right? Birds are very important, and they are also mentioned of earthworm, right? I mean, basically, it's all about the relationship between what, you know, what the people, when you follow the making of the yam, you see all of that coming in part. They are songs of birds, they are passages of birds, they are all part of the, yes, definitely. And I don't, I'm not sure I would call yam sacred though, right? That's slightly different. I think that's another, another type of uh, artifact. Good, well, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. That was a wonderful <laughs> Thank you.